You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Chapel Anaheim. Pastor James is continuing his teaching today in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Right now, though, we're going to rewind this message back a bit as we're going to pick up in Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. Here's Pastor James with today's message. All right, let's take a look at Colossians chapter 2 on this. Verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. False humility. Did you get that? You see, we, we should picture the Pharisees here. When they fast, they do it to be seen by men. So they're not really being humble, but they're giving the appearance of humility, right? They dishovel their hair and grow their beards out and go around moaning because they don't get food. Oh, woe is me. What's wrong with you? I'm fasting. I'm so spiritual. Wow, you're humble. Yes, I am very humble. False humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You see, legalism does one of two things or both. One, it makes us want to sin more. The more I tell you that you should not eat ice cream, donuts, and cookies, you guys want to get out of church and go do it right now. It's the forbidden fruit syndrome. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hey, you can eat from any fruit in this whole garden you want, but just not this one tree. My brother John said, I can't believe they ruined it for us. They had one stinking rule in the Garden of Eden, and they couldn't keep it. My dad said, okay, John, let's make one rule for you right now. See that plant right there? That plant up there on the mantle above the fireplace? You're not allowed to touch it, John. You can't touch it. He lasted like five minutes. (laughs) As soon as we make a rule, all of a sudden we're attracted to it. We can't? But why? I don't understand. It's just a plant. Just trust me. You can't do it. I don't trust you. I don't understand why. I'm going to touch it. That's what the law does to us, friends, the the legalism. It actually makes us want to sin more because we're bad. Our hearts are wicked. And so we're attracted to forbidden fruit. And then the other thing that legalism does is it, it promotes spiritual pride. And that's what we see in the Pharisees, is that spiritual pride. And so it's of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, hey, all things are lawful for me. It's all covered in the blood. But not all things are helpful. And so I'm going to do those things which are helpful. And I'm going to avoid those things that are not helpful. Not because it's going to send me to hell, because I'm covered in the blood. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But because I want to live a life that glorifies God, I want to respond to His love in a way that pleases Him like a father is pleased with an obedient child. And that is to be my motivation. It's a response to the gospel rather than a means by which we are saved. All right, let's go back to verse 25 now in 1 Samuel chapter 14. 
it says, Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. Oh, man. Verse 26, And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. Oh, there was the honey, and honey is perfect for what these guys are doing right now. They're out, they're running after the enemy. I mean, it's, it's pretty violent and gross, but they're taking their swords and their plowshares and they're hacking people up, and it's really tiring work. And so they could use some quick energy. You know, when I used to do long mountain bike rides, I would take this little like gel with me that you squirt into your mouth, and it's quick energy to help, you know, so that you can keep going. So here's the honey. It's there. It's dripping. But they're afraid of the oath. In verse 27, but Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. You know, when I was younger, I always thought the honey, you just eat the honey off of the honeycomb, but no, you take the whole honeycomb, and you bite into it, and you eat that honeycomb, and it's good, isn't it? Oh, it is good, and so he sticks his spear into that honeycomb, and he just starts eating away, and his countenance is brightened. He's feeling stronger and better and ready to continue the battle. And then verse 28, it says, Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Verse 29, But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? We see here a little frustration beginning to surface in Jonathan because of his dad's choices and decisions. You know he was there when his dad decided to sacrifice and Samuel was supposed to. You know he was a witness to all of this. And then he was a witness to the fear that was overcoming his dad. And he broke away. And it's most likely why he didn't say anything to his dad when he broke away to attack the Philistines with his armor bearer. And now he's on the attack. And he is gung-ho. The enemies, at, he's at their heels. And he hears this. And where he should have probably kept quiet out of respect for his dad, the king, and the view of the people of his dad, in frustration, he spoke out and said, this was a foolish decision my dad has made. Now, verse 31 now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon. So the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. 
Verse 33, then they told Saul, saying, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 14, it says, for it, speaking of the blood, is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. So they were not to eat animals with blood in the animal. They were to, uh, you know, cut the throat, let the blood drain out of the animal, and that's how it was supposed to be done. And they were so hungry that they rushed out and they're eating the animals with the blood. And this was in violation of God's law. So isn't it interesting that it was these man-made, this man-made tradition, this man-made law by Saul that makes the, the people, leads them into sin against God. And that's what legalism does, friends. It doesn't help. It leads to more sin is what it does. And that's what we see happening here. And so he said, middle of 33, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. So Saul's really blaming the people, but it was his doing. Yeah, they shouldn't do this even if they're really hungry, but it was his decision that is making them starving and faint. And he, but he doesn't acknowledge that. Notice, he's not acknowledging. He's continuing to blame shift. Verse 34, then Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So this was a good decision for him to do. Hey, let's slaughter the animals. Let's drain them of their blood and eat them without the blood and honor God this way. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. So the law, friends, now, the, the law itself is unkeepable. We are, as sinful human beings, unable to keep the law. And when we try to approach God under the law, through the law, through good works, I'm going to do good, I'm going to be good, I'm going to follow the rules of the Bible, and that's going to get me to heaven. And, and when we try to do that and we put that on ourselves, it, it just leads to more sinning. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. That sin might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Much more. So what the law does, friends, is that, number one, it accentuates the sin. Because if there's no rule against it, then it doesn't seem that bad. But when there's a very well-defined rule and everybody knows it and it's published and posted, it makes the sin well-known. So the law does that. It accentuates the sin. Secondly, the law makes us, though, want to sin more. Josh McDowell has this really cool saying. He says, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. 
And so when there's, there's rules, whether it's in a family or it's by God, when it's just rules, but I don't understand, why do we have this rule? Quiet! Just do it! Rules without relationship makes us want to rebel. It's in our sin nature. But when there's relationship, hey, let's talk about why you shouldn't run into the street, my five-year-old. <laughs> see that big car that just went by? Imagine if that hit you. Oh, I get it. See, I love you. And, and in the context of relationship, rules are a lot better and they make more sense where there's trust. The keeping of legalistic rules, man-made rules, leads to spiritual pride. And so we don't want to go down that road. But we want to lean on the grace of God. Let's go back to verse 35 now. Verse 35, then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. Hey, let's ask God about this and see what he has to say. Verse 37, so Saul asked counsel of God. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. Now this is a little bit confusing because the way that they would seek God is with the Urim and the Thummim. There was the yes stone and the no stone, and they would have them in a pouch in the priest's um, breastplate, and they would ask a question of God, and they would pull one of them out. If it was the yes stone, God said yes. If it was the no stone, he said no. And so for there to be no answer could be an indication that it wasn't the answer that Saul wanted. It was a no, 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 no. And he's like, what's going on? Whatever the case may be, it was an indication to him that God was displeased and that his judgment was upon the people. And so the verse 38, and Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what the sin was today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. Then he said to all Israel, you be on one side and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Verse 41, therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. So they drew lots and Saul and Jonathan got the short stick or the the wrong color stone, however they did it. And they were chosen. And then verse 42, and Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die? Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Whoa, this is his dad condemning him to death. 
Now, I believe that there's a lot going on here, even underneath the floorboards and psychologically with Saul, where we've seen in him, he's beginning to develop some suspicion. You know, he's already been told his kingdom's taken from him. He's seen a lot of glory go to his son. That's got to be irksome. You know, when you have a problem, a, a sin problem of some kind, and someone else is really victorious in the area where you are failing, that's like tough to deal with sometimes, you know, if you're not willing to let God work in your heart. And so here Saul is giving into his fear, his doubt, his fear. He's lacking faith, and he sees his son Jonathan. Boom, victory. And the people are esteeming him as a hero. And we find him really fall obviously to this when David comes on the scene. But I believe we see it starting in him against his own son even now as he is willing so quickly to condemn his own son to death for tasting some honey. Now, it is true that the law is no respecter of persons. Doesn't matter that you're the son, Jonathan. Doesn't matter that you just had this incredible victory of faith. If you are going to be judged by the law, you're going to die. Even if it's just, but, but all the good that Jonathan did. Sorry, doesn't matter. Doesn't count for anything. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And you're welcome to turn there with me. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Why? Because nobody else could. Not even Jonathan. Verse 18, For assuredly I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jots and tittles were punctuation marks. It's all going to be fulfilled. Verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh my goodness, how do we get this righteousness? By the blood of Jesus Christ, that's how we get this righteousness. By his work on the cross. That's how we get this righteousness because we cannot earn it, friends. John chapter 1, verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's take a look at verse 45 now in our section of Scripture in 1 Samuel 14. It says, But the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die? who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. 
So the people rescued Jonathan from his own dad. (laughs) And Saul is showing signs of being a glory thief, you know, of taking glory for himself. You know, come on, everybody, don't, you, you can't, you can't eat until I have avenged my enemies. And showing signs of jealousy. He's so quick to advocate for the death of Jonathan. Did you know that there's something called the law of oaths? The law of oaths, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 4. But listen to what it says here. It says in Leviticus 5, 4, or if a person swears speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it when he realizes it. So in other words, when he realizes that the oath was stupid, it was foolish. So he makes an oath before the Lord, and then he goes, that was really dumb. (laughs) What, What was I thinking? And there's been a couple of them. There's a couple of them in the Bible. This is one of those instances with with Saul. Dude, what were you thinking? Then, as we read on, it says, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. He's guilty for making a foolish oath. But what does it say in verse 5? It says, and it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed. A female from the flock, a lamb for a kid of the goats as a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. And so he can go and confess to everybody, my oath was really stupid. And I'm sorry. And it was sin. And I'm going to now sacrifice for my sin that I've committed. This was an option for Saul. He could have done this, but in his pride, he would rather see his son die than to admit he's wrong and that his oath was foolish and he sinned and go to the priest and sacrifice publicly in front of everybody. I blew it, I'm sorry. And so this law of oaths kind of reveals to us what's going on in Saul's heart, that he's getting puffed up with pride. Now, verse 46, it says, Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jeshui, and Malkishua. And the names of his two daughters were these, the name of the firstborn Merab and the name of the younger Michal. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul and when Saul saw 
any strong man or any valiant man. He took him for himself. And so Saul's demise, friends, begins with his disobedience by sacrificing to the Lord when it was the priestly duty and his lapse in faith, not trusting the Lord. And then we see it continue as he continues in doubt and in fear and trying to approach the Lord religiously and then putting his religious system and his religious way of thinking onto the people while we see what it's supposed to look like with Jonathan and in faith. Friends, today we're celebrating freedom from the law. That's what we're celebrating, that we are not under the law, but we are under grace. We cannot come to God, the Father, through our good works. And so today, we're being free from that. And we're remembering that we do not come to God by good works, but by faith. We are saved by His grace through our faith alone. It's through the cross. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.